Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and how the tech are you? It's time for a Tech Stuff tidbits. And I thought it would be a good idea to do an episode to talk about bits and bytes, largely because I think a lot of folks can confuse the two. I include myself in that. And to be fair, it is confusing. Like, even when you're in the computer science field, this can get confusing. It's totally understandable. So we talk about data transfer rates in terms like megabits or gigabits per second. But we talk about data storage in terms of gigabytes or terabytes. And then we talk about, you know, memory in terms of megabytes or gigabytes. And we mean different megabytes and gigabytes than we do with data storage. So it's not hard to get this stuff mixed up. But let's start with the bit. It's the easiest one to understand. So in computer terms, a bit is the smallest unit of information. So in computer data, you know, analogies, you would call a bit the same thing as an atom, as like the building block for computer information. And a bit is a binary digit. Uh, it's how we, you know, can talk about individual pieces of data and we represent it as being either a zero or a one. It's base two. It's a zero or a one. And I often say you can think of a bit kind of like an on or off switch. And you can say like, well, one means the switch is on and zero means the switch is off. John Wilder Tukey, a mathematician, suggested the term bit back in 1947. So we're talking about the very early days of modern computer science. I mean, a lot of groundwork had been laid by people like, you know, Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace, but the late 40s is really where we start getting the foundation of modern computer science. And computers had been around a little bit by 1947, not by a lot. They were pretty young. Uh, and a lot of the computer technology actually evolved from earlier machines that were meant to do everything from count ballots to guide a loom when weaving a specific pattern. The evolution of the bit involves stuff like punch cards, but to get into all of that would be a little bit too much for a tidbits episode. So Tukey coined this term, but it was Claude Shannon who really popularized it in his work titled A Mathematical Theory of Communication. Uh, he credited, credited Tukey in that work. So Shannon didn't try and pass this off as his own idea. I think that's awesome because I don't see that a lot. You know, I see people using terms and not indicating that, hey, someone else actually thought this up. That wasn't Claude Shannon's style. Shannon was quick to credit Tukey with coming up with the, the idea. Anyway, Shannon laid out the that a device capable of two stable positions or states such as off and on. There's the off state and the on state. Well, something like that can store one bit of information. And that this meant for n number of such devices, you can store n bits of information. So in other words, if you have 20 switches, right, and each of those switches has an on or off position, you can store up to 20 bits with that system. From there, Shannon dives into how this approach can be used to communicate on a computational basis. The paper itself 
is free to read online. You can find it again. You just you just search for the title, which was a mathematical theory of communication. It'll pop right up and you can read it. Uh, it's a technical document. And honestly, it's the kind of paper where I need to have a separate tab open so I can look up terms and meanings just to try to keep up. And even that is being generous. It It is uh, someone in computer science totally makes sense to them. Like, no, no brainer for someone like me with my background in English literature. It requires a bit more homework on my part, but it is a truly fascinating and foundational piece of work in the computer science discipline. But then what can you represent if you have just a single bit with a switch that's off or on? Well, with just two states, you can't really represent anything terribly useful for communication. Uh, you could do yes, no. But that's it. Like you couldn't form a question. You could just maybe give an answer that's very, very, very simple. Uh, but you couldn't really process information with a single bit. Like a processor that could only handle one bit would be useless. So let's look at what happens when we have more bits at our disposal. Well, each bit, again, has two potential states off on zero, one. But if you have two bits together, well, then you can get a shave and a haircut. Sorry, that's a very outdated dad joke. If you happen to know the whole shave and a haircut two bits, good for you. I, you might have appreciated that very bad joke I made. No, no. If you have two bits, you technically can represent four states with those two bits, right? You can have zero, zero. That's the first one. You could have zero, one. You could have one, zero. Or you could have one, one. So with two bits, you can represent four things, well, what if you had four bits? Well, that means you could represent 16 different outcomes, and they would range from 0, 0, 0, 0 to 1, 1, 1, 1. And there'd be 16 different ones. If you had eight bits, you could represent up to 256 versions or outcomes. So the easy way to represent this is to take the number two, that represents the number of states that each bit can have, you know, a zero or a one, that's two states. So you take the number two and you raise that two to a power equivalent to the number of bits you're talking about. So eight bits is the same as saying two to the eighth power or 256 potential values. So this means that as you double bits, you are, you know, or as you increase bits, you are logarithmically increasing the number of potential states. So if we double eight bits to get 16 bits, that doesn't mean that we double 256 to 512. No, 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 no. It is two to the power of 16. That, that is 65,536. So you see that as you add bits to a system, you dramatically increase the number of states. In fact, every time you add a bit to a system's capability of handling bits, you double the number of, of potential values you can represent. So this is what I meant by a logarithmic increase. All right, so once you go with binary digits, you start to look at how many bits you need to do whatever it is you need to do. So let's say that you want to start off just by representing the Latin alphabet, right? You want to be able to use bits to designate letters of the alphabet and say this combination of bits means A, this one means B. Well, if you're just looking at the number of letters in the Latin alphabet, we would need at least 26 values, right? We would need 26 different uh, combinations in order to represent 
the just the basic alphabet. Four bits would net us 16 values, so that's not enough. But five bits would give us 32, as because two to the fifth power is 32. So with five bits, we could represent all the letters of the alphabet, and we'd have a couple of values left over where we could represent simple punctuation. However, we wouldn't be able to have upper and lowercase letters. All letters would have to be the same case because each case would be a state or a value of its own. So capital J and a lowercase j would each require their own designations. And we don't have enough bits to do that. If we have 32, we, we would have, have to have at least 52 in order to do that. And we don't have that. We've got 32. Uh, plus, we wouldn't be able to represent any numerals, or at least not all of them, with just 32 bits, unless we were to sacrifice some letters of the alphabet, because otherwise the alphabet takes up too many of the states or values. Now, the term byte began to pop up a little bit around this time to describe the number of bits engineers were using to represent a character set. So, for example, if we used five bits to represent all the characters in our set, which would mean, again, we would be limited to 32 characters, then we would naturally refer to five bits as a byte in our system. And you've probably heard that eight bits are a byte. Well, they are now, but in the early days, what you referred to as a byte depended upon the system architecture you were working with at the time. So the byte was not always and forever, amen, uh, you know, eight bits. That's not the way that worked. There were five-bit bytes, six-bit bytes, seven-bit bytes. Uh, these were all kind of hashing out over time as various companies were building out computer systems. Uh, also, in the early days of computing, designers created machines that had different instruction set architectures. And some systems used a five-bit-sized word, which is a collection of bits that becomes the native unit of storage. By storage, we're not just talking about storing data like in a hard drive. We're really talking about storage in the sense of a computer has to be able to hold on to a certain amount of information in order to process the information, you know, to execute some sort of operation on the data. So you're, you're essentially talking about what is the processor's capacity? How much information can it hold in order to do operations on that data? So smaller word size means you are working with smaller amounts of information that the, the processor can handle, and it limits what your processor can do and thus limits what your computer can do. So when we talk words, we're talking about stuff like CPU registers, which temporarily store small pieces of information while the CPU executes some sort of process on that data. Uh, some early systems used 5-bit words, some used 6-bit words, uh, and then they grew very quickly from there because that was so limited that you couldn't do much with them. All right, we're just getting started. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue to talk about bits and bytes. Okay, so in the early days of computing, the technological limitations would determine word length. So let's, let's review really quickly. A bit is a single unit of information. It's either a zero or a one. A byte is a consecutive group of bits, which we use to represent characters. And a word refers to a consecutive number of bits or bytes used primarily for CPU registers. 
And you can think of word size as being an indication of how much information a computer's CPU can handle for individual operations. Larger word size means the computer can handle bigger operations effectively. By the 1950s, various companies began using a character set called BCD, which had, you know, at least 48 characters in it. And to encode 48 characters, you would need to have at least six bits. So the six bit byte became kind of a standard for a while. By the time IBM was ready to introduce the System 360, the company had gravitated toward an 8-bit size for bytes. Now, technically, the 360 could get by with just 7 bits to represent all the characters that it was going to use. But programming is way easier if you're dealing with bytes and words that are based on powers of 2. 7 is not a power of 2, but 8 is. So bumping up the byte size from 7 bits to 8 bits made more practical sense, and it also meant you had 256 values to play with instead of 128, which is what you would get if you were using 7 bits to a byte. IBM's move would end up creating the foundation for bytes moving forward, though it didn't catch on immediately. So by the time I was a kid learning about personal computers in the late 70s and early 80s, a byte was pretty firmly established as being 8 bits. And in fact, I don't remember ever seeing anything that suggested that had not always been the case. So I walked away with the impression that, you know, a bit was always a 0 or a 1, and a byte had always been 8 bits. But the 8-bit byte really wasn't standardized until, say, the early 1970s. So you've got your bit, you got your byte, which is 8 bits, and super quick, we should reference what prefixes like kilo, mega, giga, tera, or kila, since that's the way most people say it when they're talking about bytes and bits, what those mean. And they come from metric prefixes, but bits and bytes are not metric units. And when it comes to bytes in particular, it gets real confusing. So kilo or kila means 1000. Uh, mega means million, giga means billion, tera means trillion. And you can go further. I mean, peta would be quadrillion, exa would be quintillion. So if you hear something like an exabyte, they're talking about a quintillion bytes. And it, it keeps on going up from there. But for the average person, tera is kind of where we max out when we're talking about modern personal computers, like a terabyte hard drive, that kind of thing. Now let's talk about data transfer speeds and computer storage and computer memory, and why we use terms like gigabit or gigabyte and what those actually mean. So when we're talking about transmission speeds, we are framing the discussion in terms of bits per second. Uh, this also can kind of get a little confused with bandwidth. Uh, that's pretty easy to confuse with transmission speed. Bandwidth describes the capacity of a network. Uh, in other words, the amount of data that network can handle or transmit at any given time. And networks are not infinitely capable of handling data. They do have a cap. This is one of those things that ISPs like to reference when they're talking about having to charge people an arm and a leg to access the internet because there are capacity limits that a network will hit. Uh, most of the time we don't get to the full capacity limit, but that's still the story we get told whenever, whenever it's time to pay the bill. So um, there's that. But transmission speed is literally the rate at which data crosses from one point in a network to another. And that depends on a whole bunch of stuff. Like it can depend upon the distance between the two points, right? Like if you are transferring data from a computer that's on the opposite side of the world where from where you are, 
that's going to affect the transmission speed uh, as opposed to like a computer that's, you know, a mile away. Uh, then like the kinds of connections, like what kinds of wires are connecting you? Is it copper? Is it fiber? You know, that sort of stuff also determines the transmission speed. Uh, there are lots of other elements that do too, but ultimately you figure out, you know, what your transmission speed is. Here in the United States, the Federal Communications Commission uh, currently defines broadband internet speed as 25 megabits per second down. That means the that's the data transfer rate that applies to information that's coming from the internet to your computer. That That if it's 25 megabits per second or faster, then that means you have broadband access, at least on the down download side. And three megabits per second up. So this would be the speed at which your computer sends data back up to the internet. So if you have 25 megabits down and three megabits up, that counts as broadband in the United States. Uh, and since mega means millions, that means 25 million bits per second downloading 3 million bits per second uploading. By the way, there are a lot of folks out there, including myself, who say this definition is way too low and we should have a higher standard to qualify for broadband designation. And that is important. It's not just semantics. It's important because there are various government initiatives that are dedicated to extending broadband service to underserved regions and populations in the United States because people have recognized Access to the internet is one of the most important elements to participating in modern society, particularly during a pandemic. And so if you define broadband as a very low standard, you're, you're not really helping out people with these programs to get access to that very low standard. Like companies are going to do the bare minimum they need to do in order to get that access to those people. So you could argue that this definition would keep people at a, a technological disadvantage and that we really should uh, change the definition to be more reflective of what broadband really is. Anyway, transfer speeds are all in bits per second, and the prefixes kilo, mega, giga, and so on are very straightforward. A kilobit is a thousand bits, so a kilobit per second <laughs> transfer speed would be terrible, but it would be a thousand bits per second. And a megabit is a million bits. So very easy to follow. But it is a very different story when we talk about bytes, and it's confusing as all heck to a lot of folks, including folks in computer science. All right, so in the early days, there was this real need to stick to powers of two when you were talking about bytes. Again, this dates all the way back to the introduction of the IBM System 360, where execs at IBM were saying, no, 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 let's, let's just deal with powers of two. It simplifies things. Otherwise, stuff breaks down. So rather than describe 1,000 bytes, you know, that a kilobyte is 1,000 bytes, it was more elegant within the computer science model to describe a kilobyte as 1,024 bytes. 1,024 is the same thing as 2 to the 10th power, but 2 to the 10th power or 1,024, there, there's no easy naming convention to use for to describe 1,024 bytes, and the computer science world kind of appropriated kilobyte to describe it, because 1,024 is kind of like 1,000, if you squint your eyes a little. From a computational standpoint, sticking with powers of 2 made things easier. From a semantic standpoint, it done messed things up because a kilobit is a thousand bits, but a kilobyte, at least originally, 
was 1,024 bytes. But wait, it'll get worse. I'll explain after we come back from this quick break. Okay, a kilobyte is 1,024 bytes because we wanted to stick to that power of two thing. Well, then we get to megabyte. Well, mega means million, so megabyte should mean one million bytes. But in those same little areas of computer science, particularly those dealing with like computer memory, that kind of stuff, a megabyte was really seen as actually being 1,048,576 bytes. And you might say, what? Why? Well, again, it's those powers of two. So a kilobyte was two to the 10th power. A megabyte was two to the 20th power or 1,024 squared. But hey, 1,048,576 bytes is kind of hard to say, right? So let's just call it a megabyte, right? Just call it a megabyte. Who's going to care? By the late 90s, the International Electrochemical Commission had had enough of this nonsense because it was causing tons of confusion. I mean, the computer science world was going all Humpty Dumpty on the rest of us. Uh, if you don't understand that reference, okay, in Alice in Through the Looking Glass, there's this encounter she has with Humpty Dumpty, you know, the egg that sat on the wall. And Humpty Dumpty says, words mean whatever he wants them to mean. He says, like, it, you know, the only question is, who, to, who is to be the master? The words are me. And I'm not letting the words push me around. So when I use words, they mean exactly what I want them to mean. That's kind of what the computer science world was doing to the rest of us. And the brave among us said, yo, you can't do that. Words mean things. So anyway, the IEC made a recommendation that kilo, mega, giga, etc., would mean the same thing they mean in metric systems. So in other words, if you use the word megabyte, you meant one million bytes. And if you wanted to go to the power of two route, like if you if you really wanted to call 1,048,576 bytes something, the IEC said, well, don't use megabyte. That's confusing. We'll create a new designation. Call it a mebibyte, M-E-B-I byte, B-Y-T-E. So the 1024 version, that wouldn't be called a kilobyte anymore. That'd be called a kibibyte. And uh, they also went ahead and said the 1024 to the third power or two to the 30th power would no longer be a gigabyte. That would be a gibibyte. And 1024 to the fourth power or two to the 40th power would be a tebibyte, not a terabyte and so on. And so if you said gigabyte, you meant a billion bytes and terabyte would be a trillion bytes. This was meant to clarify things so that everyone knew what people were talking about when they were using a specific designation. And that would clear everything up, except the computer science world at large kind of ignored the suggestion. So there remains this use of the terminology that depending upon the context will mean one number of bytes or a different number of bytes. Like if you're talking about RAM, for example, you're really referring to the power of two version, the base two description, in other words, like the 1024 for a kilobyte. But if you're talking about hard drives, well, you're typically talking about the base 10 version because these days hard drives, when they're marketed, are marketed toward that. So a 500 gigabyte hard drive is supposed to be 500 billion bytes, although it's usually slightly off from that. But it's supposed to be in that neighborhood and it's not 
you know, the, the power of two variation of, of that. So yeah, it's all clear as mud, right? So kilobit is different from a kilobyte. And sometimes a kilobyte is different from a different kilobyte, depending on the context. Words mean things, computer science geeks. Now I'm not, I'm actually, I'm not so sure about that anymore. The more I read into this, uh, and it got more muddy too, because there's not really a universal standard on how to abbreviate things like megabits versus megabytes. So it can be confusing when you're reading a document about whether or not the author means megabits or megabytes. Now, some folks will tell you it all depends on which letter in the abbreviation happens to be capitalized, but really that's not universal. You you really need to define those abbreviations up front for any given piece because there's no formal agreement on which one should be used where. Uh, there are some schools and some scientists who have a preference that they demand folks follow, but again, it's not universal, so it doesn't really help. All right, but let's let's talk quickly about using bytes and bits in a practical example, why you would care. Uh, let's say that you had a single-sided, single-layer DVD, and a DVD has a data storage capacity of 4.7 gigabytes. And in this case, we do mean the base 10 version. So giga does mean billion, not 1024 to the third power. So we're talking 4.7 billion bytes of data. Now let's say we want to send a copy of the data that's on this DVD to a computer that's on our network. And let's say that the connection between the two computers has a transmission speed of 300 megabits per second, which means it can transfer 300 million bits every second. How long will it take us to transfer the information on the DVD to the other computer? Well, we have to remember that a byte is 8 bits. So 4.7 billion bytes is actually 37.6 billion bits. And we can move 300 million bits per second. So we do some division and we see that means it'll take us about 125 seconds or just over two minutes to transfer that full DVD to the other computer. That's, of course, assuming that we have a steady transfer speed, which never happens in real life. But, you know, for the sake of this example, we'll just assume it works. And a lot of different stuff affects transmission speed, uh, including how many other devices are transmitting data over that same network at that moment, um, which also, again, applies to the network's bandwidth capacity. But yeah, you get the idea. Now, remembering the bits versus bytes is really handy if you want to make some rough estimates of how long it's going to take you to download a specific something. Uh, I use the DVD example, but perhaps one that would be more applicable to folks listening to this show would be if you wanted to download a game, like let's say to your PC or to a console. Some games like Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War are well over 100 gigabytes in size. And since digital download has become a prevalent way that gamers get access to games, that means you have to download more than 100 billion bytes or 800 billion bits of information to your console. And I imagine a lot of folks out there don't have access to an internet connection that has a gigabit per second or faster transfer speed. Um, for example, I live in a, a pretty nice area of Atlanta. I mean, it's not the nicest, but it's it's pretty nice. And, and I max out at around 100 megabits per second under ideal conditions. Most of the time, I'm somewhere in the 50 to 60 megabits per second range. 
I don't have access to gigabit fiber. I cannot get gigabit speeds. So 50 to 60 megabits per second is the best I can hope for. So knowing your transmission speed, plus remembering that it's eight bits to a byte, can help you estimate how long it's gonna take you to download that latest game. For me, it usually means I'll download and it'll finish shortly before the sequel to whatever it is I'm trying to download comes out. Okay, that's hyperbole, but not by much. Anyway, I hope that this episode has cleared up bits versus bytes uh, for most of you. It's It does get way more technical than what I went into. And, you know, we didn't talk about things like what is a 32-bit system versus a 64-bit system? And, you know, what does that mean effectively? Does that, have, does that have anything to do with a computer's speed? What about things like processors and, and how many bits they can handle? Does that mean they're faster? Um, that we might cover in a separate Tech Stuff Tidbits episode. This was really just more of the basics of bits versus bytes and the confusing nature once you start getting into, you know, the kilobyte and megabyte and gigabyte world. Um particularly if you're talking about RAM, because then you get back to that powers of two thing. And I get it from the computer science world. Like I get the idea that working within base two simplifies things massively and that therefore it makes way more sense to, to look at large collections of numbers in terms of base two. Uh, But using the exact same terminology that we use to describe other groups of like data storage space that's where that's where it grinds my gears, as some of my fellow podcasters like to say. Anyway, hope that that was useful information for you. If you have any suggestions for topics I should cover on Tech Stuff, whether it's a tidbit, uh, a company, a trend in tech, anything like that, send me a message on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 